Today on Blue 58, what a way to open 2023. The Packers controlled their game against the Vikings start to finish and now control their own destiny as they attempt to finish off an improbable run to the playoffs. Let's talk about how it all went down. Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of ThePowerSweep.com. I'm your host, John Meerdink. Very happy to be with you here for another episode. I hardly know what to say. I feel like I just sat down and watched an action movie that needs no recapping. It's something that a reviewer would call, you know, like a real hack reviewer would call something like a, a, a thrill ride from start to finish or uh, a thrill a minute or something like that. Something where they make sure that they get their pull quote on the uh, review poster or, you know, in the in the TV commercial, just so you can, you know, say that you were influential in the marketing somehow. I don't know. Uh, but that's how it feels because the Packers needed a win in this one. They're going against a, a pretty good team in the Vikings, and we we talked about what the Vikings are as a team, and I don't think it's it's overselling it to still say that they're a good team because you don't get to 12 wins unless you're a pretty good team to begin with. And yet, here are the Packers coming up with improbable way after improbable way to continue to bury the Vikings throughout this game. We talked pregame quite a bit about luck. Luck has a big part in football games. The ball bouncing your way, the weather being a particular way on a particular day. I mean, just as an example, how different is the Packers playoff game last year against the 49ers if it's an unseasonably warm 35 degree day in January? Is it different? I think it certainly could have been. Luck has has a way of shaping football games. And don't think of this as me saying the Packers were lucky today, but things broke the Packers' way, and they were prepared to take advantage. There's a saying that goes along those lines, that fortune favors the prepared. I've always believed that in football and in life, there is an element of making your own luck. You play hard, you go hard whenever the the ball is live, and things are eventually going to break your way. And if you have that approach consistently, and you're prepared and ready to, to play hard and you know give it 100% on every down, I think in the long run, things are going to break your way more often than not. And things went the Packers' way today. Think about how improbable that would have sounded early. Game starts with the Packers forcing a three and out. Then they quickly turn the back, ball back over to the Vikings via a blocked punt after a three and out themselves. Suddenly, the Vikings have the ball deep in Packers' territory, and then the breaks begin. The Vikings lose their center. T.J. Slayton blows up a play. The Vikings have to settle for a field goal. And from there, you've got Keyshawn Nixon taking a kickoff back for a touchdown. The game's on from there. Incidentally, I said pregame that I thought the Packers should try to get up 40 to nothing to force a comeback. They got up 41 to 3 in this one. Close enough. Let's call it that. Overall point here, though, is that the Packers made their luck. They were prepared to take advantage of these situations. The Viking center goes down, more pressure up the middle. And pressuring Cousins forced a lot of bad throws, and the Packers caught them and, more importantly, did things with them. They ended up scoring 28 points off turnovers in this game, including one amazing return for a touchdown by Darnell Savage. They made a ton of plays on the ball in general. We track our ball hawks week in and week out. Packers had 16 of them in this game. Would guess that's probably a season high. I don't have all the numbers in front of me. If not, it's right up there. They're surpassing where they were last week with 13, I believe. 
They also executed very well on offense. We talked last week about their tendency to have great game-ending drives, how that's been a consistent feature of Aaron Rodgers late in his career, especially under Matt LaFleur. Well, they functionally had another one of those this week in the third quarter. So Kenny Clark strip sacks Kirk Cousins. And by the way, just as an aside, those front side strip sacks are my favorite. It seems like anybody can come in from the backside where the quarterback's essentially blind to you coming up and just slam his arm as he's going back to throw. Doing it from the front side is hilarious because you basically just walk up to the guy and go boop and the ball is out and away you go. And that's what Kenny Clark did to Kirk Cousins today. Anyway, that happens. The Packers get the ball, go 12 plays, 71 yards for a touchdown. More than seven minutes come off the clock. As functionally, they're up 34-3 to just to start the fourth quarter because they, they go in for the touchdown just as this, the fourth quarter starts. You can say goodnight at that point. It's, it's done. It's, it's all but academic for the Vikings at that point, even though we know that they are capable of putting up a lot of points in a fairly short amount of time. 31 in a single quarter is a big ask. And that was basically, that was it for the Vikings at that point. But all those things together, that's how you make things happen. You execute, execute, execute. You keep pushing, you keep pushing, you keep pushing. You lean on your strengths. You attack where they're weak. And you execute, again, at a high level consistent, consistently. That's something that we haven't seen throughout an entire game from the Packers. It it feels like all season. The Packers have pushed teams around now. They have beaten teams that they're supposed to beat. But this is the first time this year where they just took somebody out back and beat them up. Just hammered them start to finish. You think about the good to great Packers teams of the Rodgers era. 2010, they beat teams like that fairly regularly. In fact, this game reminded me quite a bit of the game just prior to the bye where they just destroyed the Dallas Cowboys. Wade Phillips was either fired right after that game or a couple weeks later. In in the relatively, um, relatively shortly after that game, that was it for Wade Phillips in in Dallas. Incidentally, that was another game where the Packers had a touchdown in all three phases. The Packers scored plenty on offense, obviously, but they got a fumble return on a kickoff from Nick Collins, and Clay Matthews scored on a pick six late in that game as well. But good teams are capable of doing this. The Packers did it in 2010. They did it a lot in 2011. They did it in 2014. They did it in 2020. They did it not quite as frequently in 2021, but they still did it. Just beating up on teams. And this is the inverse of that is kind of why people have criticized the Vikings a lot. They don't have a big point differential. They're not beating up on teams a lot. But this is that sort of authoritative win that we've been looking for from the Packers basically all season long. And as a result, they control their own destiny. They controlled their own luck. Because you keep doing what you're supposed to do, good things are going to come your way. Three good things from this game. First and foremost, special teams were special in this one. Outside of the block punt, I don't know what else you could have asked for. And that's saying something, because a game in which you give up a block punt, one that set up a team, set up your opponent, a yard or two away from a touchdown, that feels <laughs> feels like a pretty big negative at that point. But you get a 105-yard kickoff return, and... The angle 
the TV angle on that one was incredible because looking at it from behind the play, Keyshawn Nixon running to you, you could see basically as soon as he had the ball that he was going to have a gap in the middle. You seal off a little alley up the middle there, and it's him and the kicker to beat. And that's exactly what happened. But on top of that, you get a 56-yard field goal from Mason Crosby. Crosby, whose body seems to be breaking down a little bit more on a weekly basis, the function of age, uh, not anything he's doing wrong, or you know, a function of you know him being mixed up in the pile or something like that on a, on a regular basis. But Mason Crosby out there, 56 yards, you could almost see him sizing it up like, I wish we could have gotten five more, that would have been great, but uh, puts it through the uprights. It, uh, funny that it came down to that, to end the first half, on a week where the Packers elevated a kicker from the practice squad to have him out there. Ramiz Ahmed didn't end up even participating in the game, apparently a little bit dinged up in warm-ups. Crosby out there prepared to hit a 56-yard field goal. I wonder if Ahmed would have taken that kick had he been um, healthy enough to play. We'll never know. But Crosby did it. And <laughs> truly special, te- special special teams game for the Packers in this one. On offense, I really liked what I saw from the run game in this one. 7.9 yards per attempt for Aaron Jones. The Packers kept going to it, and they kept delivering. We talked pregame about the Packers, how the Packers shouldn't be afraid to pass, how they had to pass efficiently. I'm not sure they quite got to passing super efficiently. Uh, seemed like, again, a, a week of some missed opportunities there down the field. Never seemed to really click on a regular basis, whether that's Aaron Rodgers' fault or the fault of the Vikings pass rush or something like that. I don't know. It looked like there were opportunities to be had there, and the Packers did move the ball fairly well, I thought, through the air. But the the run game, they never got away from it, kept chipping away. And my favorite of many great plays was what looked to be a split zone look with Randall Cobb doing the kickout block as opposed to a tight end. Randall Cobb getting in there with the chance to dig out a defensive end in the run game and doing it leading the way for a good Aaron Jones game. Again, I feel like we've said it a lot about this this Packers-Vikings game, both before and after. What else do you want? Finally, and we mentioned this in the section about the Packers controlling their own luck, but pressure played such a big part in this game for the Packers' defense. They ended up only getting two sacks, but they also hit Kirk Cousins eight times in this game. Jaron Reed, Justin Hollins, and J.J. Enigbari all had two apiece. Reed has really come on of late, uh, has proven to be a, a fairly productive player down the stretch. I would say these two games were his best two of the season, uh, this week and last week. I wonder, I almost have to wonder if he's better with Dean Lowry out there. Does he get different looks as a pass rusher when there's guys other than Dean Lowry soaking up other blocks out there. I have no evidence for that one way or another. I haven't looked closely enough at what he's doing when he's on the field, but I wonder what kind of opportunities he's getting with, with, say, Devontae Wyatt out there or TJ Slayton out there as opposed to Dean Lowry. It's a variable that's changed, and I feel like you at least have to mention it here. In terms of the bad stuff, we could fixate on the mis- or the block pun if you want, but I <laughs> I can't think of three. I don't have three for you. I do kind of feel like we need to give a special section to Jair Alexander because he's been a bit of a, I don't want to say up and down player this year. 
I don't even know how far down he's been because I don't feel like when he's struggled, it's been a hundred percent because of what he's done on the field. It feels like this year he's been put in situations where he's been asked to do stuff that either doesn't make sense at all or isn't well aligned with what he does well, but he has still been the same old Jair Alexander and maybe even a little bit more on edge or or with a little bit more of an edge to him. I kind of like vocal Jair Alexander. I kind of like there being a guy on the Packers defense that other teams' fans hate a little bit. Because I feel like if they're capable of annoying other teams' fans, they're probably capable of annoying other teams' players too, in a good way. And I think that proved to be the case against Justin Jefferson today. Jair Alexander was talking a little bit coming up to this game. I think he handled things generally pretty respectfully. I mean, people who are, have always said great things about Justin Jefferson. I've said good things about Justin Jefferson. Justin Jefferson is a great player. But Alexander wants to remind people that he's a good player too. And he's more than willing to go out of his way and explain to you why he thinks he's a good player. That's his right. As long as he backs it up on the field. It ends up being empty talk pretty quick if you can't prove to people why they should be watching you in addition to watching this other great player do his thing on the other side of the ball. And he delivered. He's out there trash-talking Jefferson from the word go. He's out there mimicking Jefferson's signature celebration. If you get to the point where you have a signature celebration, maybe rethink your, your life a little bit. I don't know. That's just, there are other things to worry about as far as your personal branding goes. And make it better than that, please. Um, but he's talking the talk and walking the walk and looking like a guy who deserves to be the highest paid cornerback in the league. For whatever reason, whether it's him not playing well or not being in a position to play well or, or whatever, he hasn't looked like that for a lot of the season. Now he does. Today he did. And it was a big part of why the Packers were able to do what they did. So what does it all mean? It's very simple. The Packers have one game remaining on their schedule. If they win it, they're in the playoffs. We've been in the end game now for a while. And I'll return to that metaphor again that we talked about last week. The Packers are in the situation where they know exactly what they have to do. It's been about them winning now for a month. They had to keep winning and hope the rest of whatever fell their way. Whatever had to happen was going to be out of their control anyway. So they just had to focus on their own business. Beating the teams in front of them, beating the Bears, beating the Rams, beating the Dolphins, beating the Vikings. They have done all those things, and they've earned themselves a heck of an opportunity here. Should the Packers be viewed as a Super Bowl contender? I don't know. Probably not. The NFC still seems pretty vulnerable. And this, kind of taking the long way, was kind of the Packers' plan this year anyway. They knew they were going to need some time to get things together. It came together, I think, a little bit later than we would have anticipated. But it has come together. And now they've got a chance to win and get in. So who's it going to be? The Detroit Lions. 
I would guess this game probably does get moved because we're looking at a quasi-playoff game already in the works for Sunday Night Football next week. As of right now, according to the Packers' own website, we technically don't know when this going game is going to be at all. It could technically be Saturday for all we know. I hope it's not. I have other plans for Saturday night. I'll move them around if I have to. But I'm thinking this is probably going to be a Sunday night football game because it looks like the only win in their in situation going in the league. If the Packers win, they get in. It doesn't matter what happens with the Seattle Seahawks or the Washington Commanders at this point because if the Packers win, they get the final playoff spot. If they lose, Seattle can still get in. Detroit can obviously still get in. Um, But there are other games that become interesting if the Packers lose. But if the Packers win, they get into the playoffs. And I think if you're trying to get to a situation where everyone is watching or most of your audience is watching one game, this is what you do. And I think that's probably what's going to end up happening. I don't really, you know, have a strong preference either way, but I think that would be a lot of fun. Either we end the season with a primetime game the Packers earning a playoff spot, or we lose in prime time, and that's it for the season. I kind of think that's how I want to go out. And that, too, kind of calls back to where we were at the preview. What else do you really want? Sure, wire-to-wire dominance is fun. It's a lot less stressful. But from an entertainment perspective, I can't say the last month has been boring. And now here they are, one game away from getting into the postseason tournament, And who knows what happens from there. Let's talk about the rookies tonight. Quay Walker, four tackles, four assists, one pass defensed. Did have the personal foul for tackling too hard here in the Tissue Soft National Football League. I have a thought. If you don't want to get tackled too hard, don't let yourself get caught by a guy who's bigger and stronger than you. Seems fair to me. Devontae Wyatt, one tackle, didn't notice him too much. I am interested to see what his snap counts end up being tomorrow. So let's wait and see to fully, you know, talk about his game. Christian Watson, pretty quiet game. I don't know if this was the case, but he kind of looked to me like a guy who's on a pitch count. One catch, 11 yards on five targets. They were trying to get him open deep. It did feel a little bit like week one where they didn't, they knew they didn't have the full version of Christian Watson. They just tried to do what they could with what they had. And if nothing else, he can run fast in a straight line. So they were trying to get him to do that a little bit. Just couldn't connect on a couple of those deep shots, though it did look like, at least on one along the right sideline when they were going right to left, uh, as we see them on the TV, uh, like he was open, like he had beat Patrick Peterson. Rodgers just missed him a little bit outside, though I don't know the exact full factors of that without seeing you know the, the all-22 on it or whatever. But um, it, he didn't have a shot at that one, it looked like. They still went back to him, and I think that's almost as important as him catching those passes too. Sean Ryan still suspended. Nothing to say about him at this point. Romeo Dobbs, three catches, 20 yards. It's looking like the book on Dobbs is that you just man him up and beat him up a little bit off the line. He needs a little bit of work on his body, needs to fill out a little bit more because if I had to describe him in a word right now, it would be willowy. He's he's long, he's lean, and it shows in the way that he runs routes sometimes because it seems like he can be redirected pretty easily. Zach Tom. What can't he do? He ended up at right tackle today. Yash Nyman was moved off the offense today. I haven't 
track down the full explanation on that just yet as of this recording. I imagine there is a, a reason for that because because Nyman was still playing on special teams. Were they just going for a little bit of a different look? I'm not sure. Interesting uh, that he was moved and interesting that Zach Tom ends up playing right tackle and not Royce Newman. I think it's a positive sign. And now Tom, I believe, has played both tackle spots. We know that for sure. And both guard spots, I think, at times this year because he did to have some spot duty at right guard just briefly earlier this year, in addition to starting a game at left guard at a point this year. They've got themselves a mini Elton Jenkins here. And as Zach Tom should know, after what happened for Elton Jenkins in the past week to 10 days or so, that is a potentially pretty lucrative career path. J.J. Enigbari won assist on a tackle, two quarterback hits today, also nearly sniffed out another screen to his side, uh, forced Cousins to wait on a throw uh, as they were trying to set up a screen Enigbari had sniffed it out and was in the throwing lane briefly before they kind of reset and still got the throw off, but it shows that he's playing pretty smart. Tariq Carpenter, two tackles on special teams, up to six now on the season. Pretty darn good for a rookie who looked like he couldn't play at times in the preseason. Jonathan Ford, interesting, and I know we kind of have made this into a bit of a trope on this podcast, but I thought it was interesting that he didn't play this week in particular. No Dean Lowry, Figured like he had a road, a road to getting to the 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 fifty three well, not the fifty three man roster the actual active roster the forty six man or forty eight man or whatever it is now game day roster, but no inactive again, and I wonder if it wouldn't have been for what the Packers were trying to do with Ramiz Ahmed if he would have been active maybe that was the final call there. I, I don't know that one way or another, but I suspect it was something pretty close to that. Uh, but thought we were going to get him this week did not. Rashid Walker, inactive uh, this week after getting some snaps recently. And uh, Samori Ture, active but had no recordable stats uh, for this week. Clear out the notebook here, and then we will let you get on with your victory Sunday evening or Monday. Happy New Year, by the way. What a way to start off 2023. Uniform review is where we always start. Uh, The Packers, four out of four. I don't know, again, what else you want from the Packers here. Looking great at home. This is how the Packers are supposed to look late in the season. Under the lights, a little bit of chill in the air. You can see their breath on the wind. Perfect. No notes. The Vikings. I'm not really sure what to make of the Vikings. I don't hate their uniforms. They're much better than what they had, say, like 90s era Vikings. Their matte helmet, I think matte finish helmet, I should say, is for my money one of the best in their league, in the league, the the horn motif. I mean, if I didn't hate the Vikings, I would probably like that a lot more than I already do. And I think it's still a pretty good looking helmet. Overall, this is probably their second best look of their current uniform set, the white over purple. I don't hate this shade of purple as much as some of their older stuff. I think it does have to be used sparingly. Ideally, I would like to see them go with their white over white uniforms on the road, probably purple socks. That feels like the right amount of Vikings purple, some on the sleeves, some on the numbers, some on the pants, and then on the socks. I wish they would do that. Here, it's a 2.75 out of 4 for me. That's about as good as I think the Vikings get. I also like that, just as a note here, that the Vikings have asymmetrical pant stripes. We mentioned that mentioned that a couple of weeks back with the Eagles. I like it here for the Vikings, too. It's just unique and a little bit different. It's a way to change things up a little bit. The matchup, one and a half out of two. It feels like a matchup that is greater 
than the sum of its parts. The Packers look great. The Vikings look okay. Overall, it just comes together. One and a half out of two. Final score, 8.25 out of 10. It doesn't feel like it should be this good. I don't know why. But I think the Vikings yellow kind of helps tie the whole on-field ensemble together because essentially it boils boils down to you just having green, yellow, purple, and white on the field. Just four colors as opposed to other team matchups where you get five or even six, depending what um, what schemes other teams are using. It it makes it a lot more simple, and I think that is a positive thing, and it ends up looking pretty good. Elsewhere in the uniform world, and I'm sorry if your mom listens to this podcast, Alyssa Meka, Udo for the Vikings, one of their offensive linemen, number 74, were a neck roll. You never see those anymore. I love that. That was terrific. And he had an enormous one. Some of these guys back in the, I mean, when I grew up watching football, early, mid-90s through the 2000s, looked like they had an entire couch back there. You'd hardly ever see it anymore. But here's Mr. Udo out there wearing one on a nationally televised CBS broadcast. It's a late Christmas gift just for me. Love to see it. TJ Slayton, I want to mention him just for a second here. Uh, he's coming. He he is growing into something. His role, I think, is still a little bit unclear on this year's team. I'm not really sure what the ideal role is for him. But as a player, he's starting to grow into a guy who's going to affect the game when he's out there, whatever role you have him in. He is big. He's a good athlete. His play strength is starting to line up with his testing strength. He's understanding what it takes to be an NFL defensive lineman. And I think in this game, you really saw that either by decision or just by raw physical ability, he knows when it's time to just hammer the guy in front of him. He knows when he has the guy across from him outclassed. And he did it a couple times against the Vikings. Just, I thought it was a terrific game from him. And I'm looking forward to seeing what he can do perhaps in an even bigger role in 2023. Because the little glimpses that we've gotten of him in 2022, I think have been very, very promising. I know that's a pretty short notebook session, but I think that's about it. Kind of an interesting game in that everything that happened was just there in front of you. Keyshawn Nixon, big return. That's pretty cool. Bunch of interceptions. Each of them pretty cool. You don't need to dig deep to find the cool stuff there. Pretty easy to understand game. A lot of big plays by the Packers and... It's a 41 to whatever win. I stopped counting after 41 to 3 because I didn't care after that point. You knew the game was well in hand, and whatever the Vikings end up scoring is what they score because they were scoring on Corey Ballantyne and Rudy Ford. What was it, 41 to 17? It ends up being because they got two scores on those guys in the Packers' secondary. I mean, those are two essentially special teamers. Good for you. Great. Excellent. Awesome. Minnesota, you scored on on two guys that usually aren't even out there on defense. Their entirely their entire purpose in Green Bay is to cover kicks and occasionally return them. Good, whatever. But the big stuff, the cool stuff, all easy to understand. The Packers execute. Jair Alexander looks amazing, and it all comes together to put the Packers one win away from making it to the playoffs. What a journey! And I'm more than happy to eat a couple helpings of the humble pie that come with essentially writing them off six weeks ago. Hey, proven me wrong.
They're playing for a playoff spot next week, and I'm excited that we get to watch it together. Thank you so much for tuning in for this episode. Thank you so much for joining us for the year 2023. I'm really excited for what's in store from the Power Sweep and Blue 58 this year. If you're a member of our Patreon, you're going to be getting our state of the site and podcast email or post at some point this week or next, depending on on how my life shakes out, just with what I've got going on coming off the holidays. But uh, I'm excited to talk about some of the things that we're going to be doing this year. I want to grow this entire operation. I want to do more. And whenever that part of it starts, when this Packers season ends, I'm excited to well, to keep working and to get to work on some new things because this has been just an incredible journey since we started this in 2016 and it continues to be rewarding and fulfilling and exciting to do. And I'm excited to do it some more in 2023. If you enjoyed this episode and you enjoy what we do at the Power Sweep and Blue 58, do me a favor and share it with someone you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show and get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, which in turn is going to help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.